we can go home now, right? Buster Olney calls it potentially the greatest game ever in the history of baseball. Some of you would argue that game seven of 2001 would be, and I understand that, and I agree with you in so many ways. Got home Wednesday night, Major League Baseball starting on Thursday, and I walk in and start to eat supper or dinner, if you're from somewhere else than Arkansas, I guess, but, and they have this on, I think, FS1, the greatest game ever, and I show up at about the eighth inning of this game, and I watch the rest of it. You know what I loved about that game was? I already knew the ending, (laughs) and I'm glad I'm not a Texas Ranger fan. But I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan. There's something about already knowing the ending. Something about that. That you can still watch over and over and over and over even though you know the ending. And watching it with someone else, I think Bryce, Bryce sat down there and said, what are you watching? And uh, I said, you know, I'm watching game six of the 2011 World Series. And to watch it with someone else again and kind of share that little bit of excitement, even though I don't know how excited he got, but sharing it again with someone who maybe didn't watch it the same way back then. I'm the guy who likes DVRing sports. I don't know if you do or not. I like DVRing it, and I'd kind of like to know the result. I don't, I'm not a guy who gets bothered by spoiler alert, okay? I really don't get too bothered by that because I decide, especially if it's my team, whether I want to watch it or not. You know, have you ever done that going, okay, they lost 14 to 3, okay, I'm not going to watch that. But if I already know, I may not even fast forward. I just want to know it's building up because I already know the end result. But I'm excited about it. I may be be suspenseful figuring out how I get there what had to happen, because when you see that clip right there, 58 seconds, I think it was, or 50 seconds of that, you don't know the rest of the story. All you see is David Freeze, you know, being able to hit those. I mean, yeah, David Freeze, this is how great David Freeze is. David Freeze will, be, will live in infant, whatever you call it, will live forever with the St. Louis Cardinals. But you don't know about Lance Berkman the two innings before. Or he does never get to bat. Never even gets there. Never gets a shot. We don't know about that because you need to know the rest of the story. And the other part of the story is, as soon as Colton bought this jersey, they traded him. (laughs) I told Colton, quit buying jerseys, would you please? We're losing our best players. <laughs> That's the other part of the story. No doubt, as I've already mentioned, Game 7, 2001, there was a lot of things around that, right? If you just took that picture of Luis Gonzalez hitting that little broken bat flare into right over Derek Jeter's head, and you didn't realize it was 2001, 9-11, you might miss a little bit of the rest of the story, right? 
Not just because it was the, the, the quickest franchise to win a World Series. That, that's all great and all that. We unfortunately may have you know, mortgaged our future for that one year, but okay. <laughs> Maybe okay, but it, it was worth it. <laughs> but Tim McCarver, right before he does that, and this is what's so great about baseball, is a guy like Tim McCarver who's announcing with, I think, with, with uh, uh, Jack Buck, what's his son's name? Joe Buck, yeah. Uh, so he's, uh, and he's going, you know what? With the infield drawn in, I don't know if you want to do that because Mariano Rivera has a tendency to saw off people's hands, especially left-handers, and they just flare over the top of the infield. What happened? Sawed him off. Goes down to the books. It's a line drive, though, right? <laughs> I mean, might as well. My point is, there was more going on in the story. If you just see that clip, it's all you see. Oh, it's exciting, and you see all the white flags or white hankies waving in the stands like I'd never seen before. Some of you may have been there. It was unbelievable, however. It's suspenseful and it's exciting and it's jumping up and down the whole city as Phoenix was in the state of Arizona. There was a greater story. You know, there's always a greater story. Coming to Easter, you already know the end of the story. What suspense is there about coming today? Really, right? I mean, you're coming here. You already know that we're going to talk about the resurrection. But Carl Banks, I think it is, says the resurrection is what the early church talked about all the time. They didn't even talk about Jesus' miracles. He said, if you want evidence of Christ being, or, or the early church, just look at the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, I think Ali's already said, the disciples don't do what they do. They're not going to do that for a dead Want to be Messiah? That's going to put their life on the line. They didn't even talk about all the things that Jesus did. They talked about his death and his resurrection and the cross. And they went from this demoralized group of fools that they were looked at to changing the history of the world. That's what happened. Oh, and man, is there a lot of story that goes with that. <laughs> Eleven of the twelve disciples die a martyr's death. There's always more to the story, isn't there? First Peter 1, 3 through 9. Might not necessarily be an Easter Sunday morning's scripture, but I hope it'll make sense to you this morning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. <clears throat> for through faith are shielded by God's power unto the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, 
You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Anybody ever been there? (laughs) These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not did you do not see him now, you believe in him, are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy, for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. But I want to go back to three and four. Praise God, praise be to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy that he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. This inheritance is kept for you. I've said often here, if you want to know what your ministry is, well, the umbrella is the ministry of reconciliation. It's bringing us back to God, bringing us back to others. But if you want to know what your inheritance is, You may not have been raised in a wealthy family. You may not have had much to say, well, look at these tangible things that I can go do something with. But I want to tell you today, you may not ever be rich. And be able to give a lot of tangible things to your children, to your grandchildren. But man alive, you can give an inheritance. We have been given a great inheritance. We've been asked to be the purveyors of that great inheritance. So I want to talk to you today about the inheritance legacy that you have an opportunity to give. The reason why you see so much baseball stuff up here today is, yes, I love baseball. Those of you who know me, I love baseball and basketball in the right time type of love, I guess. I think it's in perspective. Basketball for me, the reason I love basketball so much is because as a kid, many of you already know my story, but as a kid, 7th and 8th grade especially, uh, I was bullied really bad, really overweight, really bullied extremely bad. Basketball became my sacred place. Basketball courts became my holy ground. Basketball places where I, places where I, the place where I went to hide is my place where I could go by myself and imagine something different. I didn't have to realize what was happening every day I went to school. But baseball, baseball's different. I have a different reason why I love baseball. And the reason I love baseball is because it's an heritage of my life. Because some of you look at baseball and go, he's just one of those jocks that likes baseball. Now, mine goes way deeper than that. My dad, when he got back from World War II, I'll just do this briefly, I hope. And I won't get into his whole story. But he was a battlefield medic. He, after he got blown up, he was in a hospital for over a year. But when he, when he finally got back on his feet, uh, it took him almost 15 years before he started his business there in that little town of Wicks, Arkansas. 
and started his car business, but he had, we had 40 acres, actually 36 on one side of the road, four on the other side of the road on Highway 7159 uh, between uh, the big town of DeQueen and Mena. I know you guys know where that is. You may not have heard of Wicks, but you know where that is. Town of 400 people. I don't even think it was that many at the time. But we had from the car lot, you would look north, and we had this, this beautiful property, uh, ponds all around, three, four, uh, three ponds, uh, and then you would see this kind of dip, and then there was this mountain that would go up, and his daddy continued to look out across that field. My dad was blown up in Italy. He said, for whatever reason, every time he looked down there in that field, he saw young men's dead bodies. Could not get it out of his mind. Could Every time he looked, he just wouldn't look over there. And he said, I want to build something where young men have life. We built a baseball field in a cow pasture. Closest from 25 miles away besides one field that we used to play on uh, about 15 minutes or 10 minutes away in a place called Vandevort. Vandevort's field was so bad, I was a catcher. That's what I, I grew up doing. And uh, I remember I'd catch. And uh, th- that field was so bad. I was telling somebody earlier, this is my glove from way back when, so you can see it too. But I would say, when I squatted down, that field was so bad that Right past shortstop, there was this hill, and you went out to left field. And when I squatted down, I could barely see the cap of the left fielder. That literally, I'm telling you the truth. I'd be squatted down, but we're playing in Arkansas, okay? And you'd be squatted down going, just trying to make sure you're still out there because the bathrooms were out there too, two two one-holers. So just make sure you didn't go to the bathroom. So we're sitting there just kind of going, Right field, and this is true, this is the truth, right field fence, there's a big old oak tree out there, it was about 40 feet higher than home plate. So you got right field here, coming down, and then this, that's where we played. So we needed a new field, my dad built one. My mom and dad would decided once we built the field, maybe even before then, they would drive Maybe three or four nights a week. My brothers were eight and six years older than me. We would drive all around that part of Polk County on those dirt roads. Me sitting in the back of the truck in a fold-up lawn chair. That doesn't make any sense. I'm thinking they would have got arrested now. Uh, but anyway, I just pick up boys and take them to Mina, take them to Vandervoort. Wherever we had to go, they'd take them. Just my mom and dad, their parents would never show up. But my mom and dad would pick them up. That's how I grew up. I'm, these guys are six and eight years older, or maybe even older than that. And I just thought, everybody lives this way. Because that's all I knew was baseball. And how did the Cardinals come in there? Well, my, both my grandfathers and my dad were Cardinal fans. <laughs> and why are they Cardinal fans? Probably because St. Louis was the furthest west team till like the 50s. Some of you probably don't know that. <laughs> To the Dodgers and the Giants moved. We used to play this game called Stratomatic, me and my two older brothers. I don't know if you've seen it. Anybody ever played Stratomatic? Ever even heard of it? Yeah, there's Steve. He's got some Stratomatic guys in here. Well, you knew every statistic of every player. I mean, I started listening to the Cardinals. Harry Carey was the announcer. Those who know Harry Carey was the Cardinals announcer. I mean, I can tell you in 1967, sure, Orlando Cepeda was on first base. Dale Maxwell, uh, uh, Julian Javier was on sex, dex, uh, second. Dale Maxwell on third. Mike Shannon on third. Lou Brock, left field. Kurt Flood, center field with a C. Okay. And then 
Roger Marison, right field. Tim McCarver catching. Nelson Bryles, Bob Gibson, Steve Carlton. I was six or seven years old. It became ingrained in me. Why do I share all that? I think the biggest thing that I have looked at over the years for my life, and especially during that 2011 World Series, I happened to be sitting in North Little Rock at Brother Paul's, had an adult mission trip at the end of October, pretty well by myself watching Game 7 close out the next night. Colton was here. We didn't get to watch it together. But what I reflected on, my dad had just passed away the December before, and I couldn't call him. And I was just reflective sitting there in that apartment. Many of you know what I'm talking about at Friendly Chapel. By myself, just thinking, I'm a grown, stinking man. (laughs) And how did baseball... Here I am weeping, I'm excited, I'll jump up in the air, I'll, 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 I'll yell. I'll, the night before in game six, Jen had to come out of the bedroom going, would you stop, you're going to wake everybody else up in the building. I'm going, I'm a grown man. I'm a grown man. Why is this affecting me this way? And I realized in that moment, It never was about baseball. It never was. It was about relationships. It was about memories. It was about drilling down deep. I remember my dad, my dad, and this probably contaminated, so I better be careful here. But my dad, I remember sitting in the, in, in the, in, in, because he was trying to figure out how do I get these boys better? So he, he, you know, back then we didn't have donuts. You everybody know what a donut is, slides on your back, you know, you use it to loosen up. My dad decided in our fireplace in our den to melt uh, 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 lead, okay, lead, drill holes into this bat and fill the bat, into the bat up with lead. He was a MacGyver before we knew a MacGyver. Okay? Because his thought was, I got to figure out a way for these boys to get loosened up, okay? I got to figure out a way. I remember that. My dad and his ingenuity, and he, he was, me, those who know my dad, and not many of you, he was that. But then my brother goes, you know, we didn't lift weights. Back then they say, if you lift weights, you'll get bound up. So you don't, and I'd say, so we were all country strong, right? We were all country strong. So we used sledgehammers. Hauling hay, this is how I got strong as a kid, basketball and baseball. The only way I got strong as a kid is my family was, I don't know if they were smart or not, but hauling hay was one of them. But the other one was a sledgehammer. This is the drill my brother would have me do. Take the sledgehammer, touch your nose, bring it back up. Sledgehammer, yeah. And the reason was, he said, man, you've got to get, get those wrists strong. You've got to get those wrists. But I remember that. I remember those times of sitting going, looking at my favorite baseball players. I'm going, Here's a shout-out to the Pirates of, 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 big, of Willie Starge on his, his Twitch, or Joe Morgan. 
Nowadays, it's what Paul Goldschmidt or, 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 or my favorite, Albert Pujols. So you, you start going, I, I want to be like them. I want to emulate them. I, I want to... So baseball had so many ties to me becoming different. It's so many ties to memories about my family. But I made baseball, as time went on, more about a destiny. And that's what I get concerned about so many of us. I want to be a great baseball and a great basketball player, except I brought along alcoholism with me. I was more worried about the destiny than the legacy. I was more, more, more worried about, I was going to get there, and I, don't, I, I can bring all this stuff with me because it really doesn't matter. None of that matters. I can just bring it all with me instead of thinking about what am I influencing, what am I leaving behind. And this great inheritance that Scripture talks about, I think so often, and Jan and I talk about it, we get sidetracked, we've been believers, I've been a believer now for 34 years, and it is so easy to get focused on the destiny of my career, of what I want in this world, of gathering stuff. The reality is, as Jan and I have even and our family's experienced this week, it can be over with in a moment. That destiny may not ever be reached, but your legacy will always be there. Whatever you've done up to the point that it's time, that's all you got. I've had I've seen people have retirement as their destiny and forget about their legacy, their inheritance that they're going to hand off is my grandmother and gra grandma and grandpa, my grandmother's birthday would, should have been 121. She, didn't go, she was 89 when she passed away, but 121 this last Thursday on April Fool's Day. But the legacy my grandparents left me, they had no, well, I didn't get a dime from them. But man, what they left me. What they left me. And so many of us begin to think, I want to speak to the, to the younger crowd in here. Anybody under 75? Okay. <laughs> All right, now let's go 85. I've done maybe coming. You're never, you can never be too early starting this. If you're a 13 year old teenager, you're influencing your brothers and sisters in your home. And you're leaving something. You may not ever leave them a dime. Probably won't. You'll probably be stingy. But what you can leave them, what you can leave them through your faith and through how you walk this out, when years pass and they remember, I remember growing up because that's what I remember about my brothers. One, yes, one tried to live it all out. The other one bought me my first drink at 16 years old. Now, he regrets that now, and he's a full-blown follower of Jesus Christ now, but at that time, if something had, that was his legacy to me. But my parents, 
Really, it wasn't me financial. Maybe there was a little bit left when we sold their trailer house there in Wicks. But what they left me. And what I've come to realize is, you know, we as Christians don't believe in reincarnation, just in case you're here for the first time and don't know that. And I'm not trying to be funny as much as just saying we don't. But what I do believe in is that you can live more than one lifetime. Instead of focusing just on getting to your destiny, retirement, or whatever that next thing is, and you begin to focus on your legacy and the inheritance that you're going to leave. Because down front here to me, and I know she's probably asleep right now, right? Can I come get her? Okay, I won't. <laughs> and I know grandparents are in here. I want to be living a life in such a way that that second and third and fourth generation, my life lives on. This great inheritance. Because you see, the thing is, baseball, if you only knew, if you only knew and saw this today and looked at this, and this is my favorite player, Lou Brock. Here's one of Colton's favorite players, Yadier Molina. I, don't, I can't get it off there now. If you only saw that, you'd think, okay, it's cool. He likes baseball. But you need to know the rest of the story. Because one of the biggest challenges, I think, and we live in a culture, I realize today, I'm going to tell you right now, I realize today, yesterday morning, about a few weeks ago, I felt like the Lord had laid this on my heart for whatever strange reason to do a message today on walk-up, your walk-up song. Now, I mean, if you know baseball, almost every player has a walk-up song. It's about 15, 20 seconds. When they walk to the batter's box, they play a walk-up song as they're coming up to it. And I thought, okay, but Lord, what are we going to do with that? <laughs> I'm still not sure. Here I am sitting on Easter morning trying to figure it out. But yesterday I looked and there's the news. MLB moves all-star game. And I'm going, oh, okay. I've already got the MLB all over my message. <laughs> and now are people going to take sides in the middle of the service about what we should do or we shouldn't do or we should And I said, you know, I ain't going to worry about it. <laughs> Finally reached a point going, this is my heritage and nobody's going to steal it. However you want to land on that, I ain't trying to tell you what to do with all that. And I, I think there's some points everywhere on, on both sides. But my point is this. And what I mean by that is, I don't know enough about it. A better way to say it. But what I do know is this. There's just been a lot over this last year of decisions made. Some deciding, even my own family, and I, I respect it. It just saddens me. That at times they're going, I'm not watching any more of this, and I'm not watching any more of that because of this, that, or the other thing. What I know is, especially in sports, that when a couple of my kids rebelled, the one connection point I had was sports. I'm just trying, this is about a relationship. So you do with it what you wish today, how you feel about that. But what I do believe is this. There's a story 
This Easter story that we tell over and over, actually every Sunday, just so you know. (laughs) It never gets old. It just never gets old. I know the end of the story. Because hope never gets old. Unconditional love never gets old. Joy never gets old. It never gets old. And I think knowing the end of the story, because one of the advantages of living to be 61, and I'm not sure all of them, or if there's some drawbacks, one of them is I can't squat down as far as I used to, uh, those kind of things. And I, I, yesterday I went and looked at, looked at new catching gear, and I'm going, man, I could still be catching if I'd have had all this kind of stuff, you know? I mean, look, you're looking at shin guards, and you're going, man, they come, used to, I'd taken them all off my knees and everywhere else. I could still be, no. All the new technology, I'll tell you this, all this great, and it's all good. It's all great technology. But I'll tell you, I'm not sure they're better ball players because it still comes down to a few things. It still come down, some, some, comes down to fundamentals. It comes down to certain things in your life that you're going to do or not do. And I know that baseball is one of those things that's so defining. One of it that defines baseball is. I've heard guys say in the bottom of the ninth inning or whatever and the game's on the line and they're out in the field especially, I hope they don't hit it to me. And then there's others that say, I hope they hit it to me. And one of the unique things about baseball is versus almost any other sport is that if you're in the bottom of the ninth inning and you're the seventh guy in the lineup and the seventh guy in the lineup's place shows up, they can't go back to the best player. You've got to step in the box. You've got to step in the box. And I think one of the biggest things that's happened in the church is that we've handed it off to other people to take care of it. We're all supposed to be stepping into the box. You may not be up here preaching every Sunday. You may not be that one guy. But you're supposed to be stepping into the box. And you're handing it off. But in baseball, you can't do that. You can't hide. Baseball has a lot of unique things that I love about it. And I'm not saying it's better than another sport, even though it probably is. And I love the fact that many years ago, baseball made a decision. I say it kind of came about, I think it started about 50 years ago, of this concept of the walk-up song. I know some others, you know, I think WWE, uh, uh, Ultimate Fighting, some of the others do it too. But baseball has it. And some of them do it just because they like the, the sound. And, and, you know, and Mariano Rivera coming out to the mound or the guy coming up to bat. But it tells, especially the best baseball players, it tells a little bit about them. And I started thinking, and along the line of inheritance or along the line of a legacy, what would your walk-up song be? Especially, now some people do it, first time I come to bat, play this one. Second time I come to bat, play this one. Third time I come to bat, play that one. 
But if you had to sit down this week and go, what would my walk-up songs be? What would my 20-second clips be of my life? Because I believe when it's all said and done, that's probably what's going to live on. And it's kind of strange to bring it down to that. So as I thought about it, I thought, well, I'm going to put together my own. So here's my three. yours will be but I don't want to be I hope at 85 I'm still playing that last one and that second one and if they'll let me have a license the first one <laughs> it doesn't have to be a 911 it's going to be a it can be a Chevrolet Dooley which I've done that in probably <laughs> if you just had to bring it down to a few things one minute what would your legacy be what would your inheritance that you're handing off be? I think one of the most difficult parts in the last 34 years is getting sidetracked. You know, as my mom and dad passed away, one 2017, and many of you got the same story uh, about your parents. But as my parents passed away, 2010, 2017, they were ready to go. One was 89, 88, one was 90. They were clear-minded. They were just ready to go. And I think part of it was there were no regrets. They had lived the best they could to hand off to their children and their grandchildren, and they got to see it. They felt like, I believe, it was in good hands. And it was just easy to go on. What I do know is this. It's never too late to start that. And you've heard me say, often hear Maria Robinson's quote, and I don't have it up on the screen, but Maria Robinson's quote, I can't go back and start a new beginning, but I can start today and write a new ending. And I know we come on Easter Sunday, and for many of us, the suspense is gone. But I would say this, the suspense of Easter is not what happened. The suspense of Easter is why it happened. And the suspense of Easter is what are you going to do with why it happened? 
That's the suspense. The suspense is not what happened. And actually, it's not even why it happened, because we can figure that out and we can preach it. The biggest suspense is what you're going to do with it. I just hope and pray. I hope I live a long, 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 long life. But the advantage I have at 61 that I didn't have at 31 is I've proven a lot of things true. Try to raise your kids, the way you raise your kids, the way you try to treat people. I don't have to live that by faith, even though I need to continue to grow in my faith. It's been proven over and over because of what Christ has done and what he is doing. The suspense still is, though, in my life, however long I live it, am I going to get distracted? But for some of you today, the suspense is, what are you going to do with him right now in your life? As we come to the cross, I appreciated Friday night and those who were able to be there. Just focusing on the cross. I come to the cross and I'll lay my life down. There'll be another Easter next year, Lord willing, and one after that. And there's a great chance you'll go to another one because it's a family thing and you'll go to another one. Skip one year and go to another one. I don't know what decisions you've got on your mind right now that you're going to have to make in your life. But the greatest decision you will ever make is the one to follow Christ as your Savior. I ask Josiah and him to come down, if they would, please, as we close. A few years ago, Jan and I were up in Las Vegas, and it's just funny how day-to-day and for a lifetime you have to step into that batter's box. And Jan stepped over, and we were listening to the table next to Bubba Gump's. <laughs> and... We listened to this young man, probably 18 to 20 years old, just cursing. And you could tell he was rebellious with his parents and everything. And I didn't realize for sure what she was doing. I went to the restroom and came back, and Jane was up walking back. And I said, where are you going? She goes, uh, I just left that young man a note. <laughs> I said, what? You did what? <laughs> what do you mean just left him a note? <laughs> okay, don't, don't. it's not Jan in that sense. And she said, basically, as I listen to you from the next table over, I just want you to know I believe you're better than this. You were created for more than this. Give God a chance. God bless. I thought, you know, day in, day out, there's a lifestyle of getting in the batter's box. I mean, there's a life. 
But then there's those day-to-day moments where you have to step in. And God prompts you. I know for me, many years ago, and I know we're not going to play it here, the greatest walk-up song I ever walked up to was when I stepped out of that aisle, December 14th, 1986. And that little Baptist church, not when I say little, that Baptist church, wasn't very little, in Hooks, Texas. And I stepped out one step. And the song was, wherever he leads, I'll go. Take up your cross and follow me, I heard my master say. I've probably not heard that song hardly any at all since then. And I have no idea what the sermon was. But I do remember that song because it was my walk-up song (laughs) for whatever reason. And I remember standing in front of that Baptist church and how they used to do it was everybody got to come around and shake your hand. It was the weirdest thing ever. Like, dude, this dude just far from God. (laughs) And now you're going to force him to shake hands with everybody. What are you doing? This is terrible, terrible to this man. But I remember stepping in almost like now that I look back on it. What I was doing was stepping into the batter's box. As a father, as a husband, as a sibling who really was only following the Lord for the most part at that time of all my siblings. Didn't know it. But I was stepping into something. I was stepping in. Didn't know I was going to have three more kids. Didn't know I was going to have grandkids. Didn't know I was going to be a youth pastor. Didn't know I was going to be, didn't know a lot of things. Sometimes, as you've heard me, you, you commit without details. Some of the greatest commitments I've ever made were without details. Mary and Jan, the greatest decision I've ever made, no details. So she was nice looking. That's all I had. That's all I had. That's all I got. That's all I got. And she had a red Corvette. Besides that, too. That was there, too. We didn't do 111, did we? We did 125. There you go. What an adventure I would have missed. Oh, my goodness. I let God worry about the details. People have asked me, Kurt, why did you grow so fast in your faith early on? Because I didn't know what the first book of the Bible was. Why did you grow so fast? I said, you know, the only thing I knew to do, because I was a country boy, dumb country boy from Arkansas, I just said, if, if I felt God told me to do it, I just tried to do it. Found out later that was obedience. <laughs> he told me to preach eight months into being saved. So I tried it. Not like something you try. Because <laughs> I believe he called me to do it. This is the great adventure. Don't miss it. And don't make it a destiny. Make it your legacy. Because I can't tell you, just like from now, I can't tell you when I'm going to die, but I can tell you how I'm going to try to live. So I encourage you today as we close. And we're going to listen to Amazing Grace or something. Is that good? Yeah. <laughs> you may have things.
But make sure those things, even like baseball, are connected to eternal things. Would you stand with me? Thank you for being patient with me today. One of the toughest parts about coming to Easter is how much I want this for you and how hard it is to articulate what I want for you. But I just have to have confidence that the Holy Spirit goes before us and the Holy Spirit works in you no matter what's been said up here. (laughs) Over these last many Really, last year, these altars in the Church of the Nazarene have not been used the way we've used them. They're part of our heritage. And it's a place for people to come and kneel, to pray, people to pray over them. People's lives have been changed around these pieces of wood right here. But that's all they are, as long as we keep them at that. But they are a holy place in that sense. So as Josiah and him lead us, and I'm going to pray for us. If you feel led to come this morning, you may want to do like I did. That first step is the hardest. The rest of them are easy. To come and kneel, if you want to come over here and you want someone to pray over you, you can do that over here. If you want to be just left alone and want to kneel, that's fine too. Or just catch me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you. Lord, help us right now. In the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our complex, noisy lives. One, Lord, if we've been following you for years, that we don't get distracted. That we continue to build one piece of that legacy at a time. Not for our good, but for the advancement of the kingdom for generations. From generation to generation. Whether it's through the fact we have children or don't have children, Lord. But through those who are connected to us in all kinds of ways, Lord. Through this church body. That, Lord, we hand this off. And we leave a great story that lives on forever. But Lord, today some may come into this room for the first time. They've realized I've been chasing a destiny when I should have been investing in a legacy of what will live on past me, what would describe me if I had to do a walk up into the batter's box, if you will, Lord. Help us now. Lord, I pray your spirit would have its way in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just sign him saying, if you want to come, I ask you to come and kneel here, and then we will close.
been there 10,000 years. Heard a guy years ago, he's an atheist. Can you think of his name right? Oh, Lee Strobel. Said he used to hear this song and just sat in church with his wife and just kind of, eh. Till he gave his life to the Lord. And he said, now I ball like a little baby. Because there's a rest of the story. It's funny. There's things you'll never know until you give your all. Let's sing 10,000 years. We'll close out with that. God bless you guys. Let us sing this and you're dismissed. And just say, I'll send you out of here. We're going to sing that last stanza. There's a great day coming. Because that heritage, that inheritance that Scripture talks about there is future. It is present. And it is shared participation. That's the inheritance that Scripture talks about. God bless you. Let's sing as we go. God bless you. Have a great week.